when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. This podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to So That Happened, the HuffPost politics podcast about things that happened in politics. This is Arthur Delaney and I'm joined in studio by my colleague S.V. Date. Hey there. And Jessica Schulberg. Hello. And President Trump is sad this week. Oh my gosh. <laughs> A tweet he put up on, on Thursday morning. The fake news is going all out in order to demean and denigrate such hatred. This comes on the heels of uh, Revelation, the reason he that his secretary of state called him a moron. He apparently wanted to increase the nuclear arsenal of the United States by tenfold, which is you know, really, really illegal under international law and maybe more bombs than we need. <laughs> uh, you know, questionable strategy all around. Another interesting tidbit news from Vanity Fair reporter Gabriel Sherman who wrote that people in the White House are starting to really freak out about the president's mental state. Now, reading this was a little strange because when has his mental state inspired confidence? Never. <laughs> He's always seemed, you know, a little a little off. <laughs> a little. But anyway, apparently the loss of Luther Strange in the Alabama Republican primary election, runoff election, was a blow to him because he'd endorsed that man and this wacky guy, Roy Moore, won the election. And so Trump's confidence is shattered and everyone <laughs> in the White House is like – literally there's a quote here. Um, would they – if he's going to like launch a nuclear war, will, should we tackle him? <laughs> That's like in this story. It's a great story. Anyway, SV, do you think it makes sense that now after we've watched him for two years or so – that the circumstances would be so distressing to Trump that he'd be, you know, losing it? Well, he's gotten zero done since he's been in office. I, I know he talks about all the great things he's done, laundry list of bills that he's gotten passed, more than any other president before ever, did you know that, etc. But in reality, he knows, I think, that the big things that he's tried to do, he's not succeeded yet, at least. So that... Grates on him. It grates on him. The people point that out. And then I, I think you, you know, the the Alabama loss is is strange because I mean, no pun intended with the, the candidate, but that that was the race that went exactly as you would imagine. You know, here's the guy, the former Supreme Court Justice of uh, of Alabama, who did some nutty stuff over the years, and people loved it, right? So the exact same people who came out in tens of thousands to watch Donald Trump at that rally back in 2015 i think it was where like 30,000 or whatever in that stadium and and um, and Donald Trump was just amazed by this uh the the numbers of people who were turning out to see him these are the same people who thought Roy Moore was just wonderful for thumbing his nose at the United States Supreme Court and putting up the 10 commandments monument even when he was not supposed to etc cetera, etc cetera. 
it's a surprise to him that he he thought his personality is so strong that he was going to make the guy who fewer people knew about beat Roy Moore. That's what's kind of interesting. Well, like with his own election, the polls said he would lose. The (laughs) polls said Luther Strange would lose. And unlike with his own election, his presence there did not stop that from happening. Right. And and this, again, goes to his misunderstanding of his election victory. He keeps talking about the polls being wrong. The polls were not wrong. The polls had Hillary Clinton winning by a small margin. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by a small margin. And the state polls— Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. There is that, right? And the state polls—there were no state polls in Michigan and Wisconsin, at least public ones, not to speak of, uh, in months prior to the election. And Pennsylvania was close all the way through. So, Jessica— it seems like foreign policy is where Trump's mental state could have consequences because we're on the precipice of maybe big changes in our policy. The nuclear bombs thing isn't really one of them. It's more the possible conflict with North Korea and also, especially this week, a possible pulling out of the Iran deal that the Obama administration had struck with Uh, many countries in order to lift sanctions on Iran in exchange for getting proof that the program is – that the country is scaling back its nuclear ambition. So what is happening – what is happening with that? What could happen if uh, things change? Uh, So Trump has until October 15th, which I believe is a Sunday? Yes. Okay. This Sunday, um, every 90 days under this law that Congress passed, uh, every 90 days Trump has to certify to lawmakers that Iran is still complying by its obligations under the nuclear deal. And there's this requirement that actually goes beyond what the Iran deal requires. You have to tell Congress that staying in this nuclear agreement is still in the national interest of the United States. So that sets up this kind of tricky scenario where Trump doesn't actually have to find any violations on the Iranians' part. He, he can say they're, they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do, but they're probably going to cheat down the road. This is probably just, you know, stalling them getting a bomb for 10 to 15 years. I don't think this is a good deal. It's not in our national interest. Decertify. Um, Trump could reimpose sanctions on his own unilaterally, which would effectively kill the nuclear deal. Um, but Trump doesn't like to do things himself and take responsibility for negative consequences. So what's more likely is that he'll decertify it. Um, that will bounce things back to Congress, who then has 60 days to reimpose sanctions themselves. Um, and that puts Congress in a really awkward spot because, as you probably remember, in 2015, Congress demanded that they vote on this nuclear agreement, which wasn't really something that Congress definitely needed to vote on. It was, you know, more it was something the executive branch had the authority to do on its own. Well, it's nice for Congress to do foreign policy once right. in a while. Right. But it, the thing <laughs> I mean, is – it's, it's like in the constitution that that's their job. But anyway. But it's now looking to be a bit of a political stunt because in 2015, when it was very, very clear that the Obama administration was going to use absolutely everything in its power to make sure that this deal went through – Every single Republican in the House and the Senate and a lot of Democrats um, voted against enforcing this deal. Um, You actually needed 
more than a, a majority. You need a two-thirds majority. So the Iran deal ended up going through. But now that they only need a majority to push through sanctions, everyone's kind of freaking out. And even people who are super critical of the nuclear deal in 2015 are now saying, like, ah, oh, gosh, like, now that it's already in place and the Europeans seem to like it, like, do we really, really want to screw this up? But that's not uh, just hypocrisy. There's That's legitimate to be against something before it's created and also against undoing it after the fact. It is. I think it also looks a little convenient for some people not naming, naming names, Chuck Schumer, um, who took a certain vote because they knew that they had the space to. They knew that they wouldn't face any consequences. They could tell their constituents back home, I'm tough on Iran. I didn't vote for this terrible nuclear deal to go through. And then when it actually comes down to a point where their vote actually carries some risk, uh, they say like, oh, gosh, you know, maybe you shouldn't do this. Now, the, now the Trump administration certified it once. We've, or, or, or twice. twice. Yeah, we've had two 90-day periods in which nothing has happened. Why is it coming to a head now, seemingly? Um, well, so there's actually been – so there's the two 90, 90-day certifications and then separate to that, because this is all just some law Congress passed, but separate to that, um, Iran has to keep signing waivers as part of the Iran deal to keep the sanctions relief in effect. So he's also signed waivers uh, keeping the sanctions in effect. So yeah, there's been multiple times where either as part of the Iran deal or part of this congressional legislation, he has in effect said the deal is working. Um, but I think if you you recall past reporting that Trump was furious every time he had to sign one of these things, he hated it. Um, apparently, you know, like right before signing it, he almost was going to go the other way and his aides had to talk him into signing it because they didn't have any backup plan. Um, but right after he came into office, he tasked the National Security Council with leading this kind of interagency review. And it was aimed at finding a way out of the Iran deal. He basically wanted the intelligence community to find some sort of evidence that Iran was cheating. He wanted the State Department to say, oh, we could actually get them to renegotiate better circumstances. Um, And that didn't really work. Everyone in the State Department, for the most part, who deals with the Iran portfolio are career people. They're not politically appointed. They they don't want to scrap the Iran deal. They've kind of said, like, we don't really have another option that would put us on a better footing. And it hasn't been publicly made known that there's any intelligence to suggest that Iran is cheating. Now, he, now so this comes back to Trump's mental state. Mm-hmm. If he feels like it, he can do it. Mm-hmm. If, if this is something that he feels will disrupt his bad situation. Well, I, I think on uh, in this case, as in the Affordable Care Act, I, I think we have to go back to back in 2015, back in – well, back for the entire Obama presidency, basically. Anything that President Obama did, much of the Republican base hated because, frankly, there was this black guy in the White House pushing these things and they didn't want him to succeed because he was a black guy in the White House. And then a lot of Republicans started opposing Obama policies merely because they were Obama policies and that's what his – that's what their base wanted. So – Trump got in to the campaign, and then he came out very strongly against the Affordable Care Act, didn't really understand how the Affordable Care Act worked or what it did or what it didn't do, came out against the Iran deal, not really understanding what it was. I mean, remember the coverage now in Fox and other places in in right-wing media about what the Iran deal did. If if all the information you had on what the Iran deal did – was based on their reporting, you would think that we were actually giving nuclear weapons to Iran. Obama was giving nuclear – I mean that's what, the way the coverage made it sound. So – $50 billion There was that pallet of dollar bills. The pallet of cash. Right. So it, it's, it's kind of understandable that Trump got into this having very little knowledge of the actual planet, remember, okay? 
He got into this thinking, this is something that Republicans have opposed. I should oppose it because I'm running as a Republican in this thing. And, and he did. So now he gets into office and realizes, oh, we were just making stuff up about these things. We didn't really mean it, he's finding out, because even Republicans in, in Congress are now saying, you know, this thing is working. It was probably as good a deal as we could get. It was only ever designed to deal with the nuclear part of this, not with terrorism, et cetera, et cetera. This is what we get. Speaking I don't know making... that there's any evidence that Trump gets that. I think his aides at least get it. I think for him, at least from the way he acts in public, it is much more of like an emotional response. Like He doesn't care if we could actually get a better deal or maybe he's too delusional to understand that. What he cares about is that Obama did it and he doesn't like Obama and he doesn't like it. So he wants to get rid of it and do something on his own terms <laughs> because he says so. Speaking of fake news or making stuff up, <laughs> he, he tweeted a fake news related to this that there had been some missile launch or something, <laughs> right? Right. right. And it just wasn't true. So it was footage of like an earlier launch that uh, was being characterized as a new launch. And he tweeted like, oh, God, the Iranians are so terrible. You know, they just did this huge ballistic missile test. Um, and then it turns out. But that's that how his mind works. He, if he saw a video of a missile, it's like when he thinks he saw a video of Muslims cheering 9-11 right. in New Jersey. He doesn't think to like, I have the entire CIA at my hands right now. I could, <laughs> yeah. could call them and say like, what's up with this no, missile he, test? And they would say it didn't happen. He has a video of a missile playing in his head. He's like, I saw it. <laughs> yeah, it was on Fox and Friends, right? Or so whatever. So yeah, he knows now, what happened. This deal is the kind of thing that is designed to prevent a situation like the one with North Korea where they're basically an isolated rogue reg- regime doing whatever they want. With very with- little incentive to stop, I might add. So it seems like that's why you would want the Iran deal to stay in place and this North Korea situation remains completely freaky. Right. And and there's really very little in common between those two. I mean, Iran is a rational actor. I mean, they we might li- like what they're doing, but they're not nuts. And they went into this deal for a reason. And the reason was they want their economy unchained. And even if we pull out, you think the rest of our European allies are going to do that? I don't think so. And so we're going to be seen as kind of a, a rogue in this. We're just unilaterally leaving this deal that took years to come into place with several of our, our best allies. This is this sends a message to you. I, I would counter that. I mean, the countries are very different in the sense that North Korea is a lot more isolated than the Iranians. But I do think that the North Korean regime is rational. I think it couldn't have stayed in power if it was as suicidal as I think some pundits make it out to be. And I think that behind all the bluster, there are diplomats on both sides who are interested in negotiating some type of nuclear agreement. It would probably be different than the Iranians because North Korea already has weapons and it's a lot harder to get someone to give something up that they've already created um, than to agree to not do it for now. Um, But that doesn't mean that there couldn't be some restrictions that sort of make it less likely that we're in this nuclear standoff. And I actually spent the past couple of weeks talking to a lot of what are called track two diplomats. It's private citizens, uh, some of whom used to be government officials. Dennis Rodman. (laughs) Others. I didn't talk to him. Um, Who go back and forth to New York and they meet with these two diplomats um, at the North Korean mission to the UN. And they have these two guys who are sort of tasked with dealing with the Americans. This is the New York channel. Right. And at the height of it, it was almost like an embassy. You had State Department officials going back and forth, like meeting for dinner, like very good relations. And now it's a lot more sporadic and limited um, and mostly consists of meeting with track two folks. But these people, they're not idiots. Like they they 
don't want to be in a, a nuclear standoff, but it's a lot harder to make that point back home to hardliners or really to anybody when you have the U.S. Uh, two years after entering this international agreement with the Iranians saying, actually, like, we don't want to do this anymore. To briefly recap, I think you already said this, Jessica, but because Trump is unlikely to want to do the most uh, drastic measures on his own, if he did decertify and punt this to Congress, the status quo could remain. Yes. Essentially. Congress could actually do nothing. Like, they don't even need to have a vote, in which case there would just be this awkward blip where Trump says, ah, decertify. But as you recall, the decertification has no bearing on the nuclear deal because it's not a provision of the nuclear deal. It's a separate U.S. Congress, Congress thing. Yeah. So he could just be at home telling Congress, like, I can't certify this is in our national interest. And Congress could be like, OK, that's cool. Like, we're not going to do anything. And we would look sort of feckless, but it it, it, it could go on. Well, we, when you say we, you mean, I think, the administration and maybe Trump personally would look feckless, but maybe the rest of the country would look sane. So I, I, I don't know. You're if, very optimistic <laughs> as to how we'll play in Iranian state media coverage. <laughs> All right. Hopefully everything works out, guys. <laughs> SV Date, Jessica Schulberg, thanks so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Hope to be around next week. We'll be- when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Right back, we hope. Welcome back. This is Arthur Delaney. I'm joined in studio by my colleague Julia Craven. Hello. And Paul Blumenthal. Hello. Man, I'm so sick of Facebook. Yeah, Facebook. It's the devil's lair. It seems like it's more ubiquitous than ever and that Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook, wants to be like president of everyone on Facebook. Like he's running for office. Well, he already is president of everyone on Facebook, which is now at 2 billion users at the moment. It's a lot of people. That's more than the number of people in the United States of America by like a huge margin. Yes, but it's, you know, uh, maybe like a little under one third of the total world population. So, I mean, when you see him running around the United States on his, he, he had an annual test for himself this year to visit every one of the 50 states of the United States. And people thought, oh, well, uh, is he running for president? Uh, and he, is he running for president? And, you know, he would be eligible. He, he He's young, but he would be eligible to be president by 2020. Uh-huh. <laughs> but 
I mean, he, as we said, he's president of two billion people, a giant global social network. Or does he just have too much money and too much free time? Uh, he certainly has both of those. Uh, and but but you know I think that like when you look at this tour, it really sort of helps explain tw- uh, Facebook's business model, in that you know you are the product on Facebook. It's free, right? It's free for you. The people that it's really gearing towards are its advertisers, and people have getting pissed off getting pissed off about Facebook lately. You know there have been allegations reportedly we haven't seen them but that russians purchased advertisements to target americans during the 2016 elections uh you know lots of abuse allegations pri- privacy uh you know uh, that like they're invading our privacy they're taking all of our data which is 100% true um and you know you could look at this tour as uh you know if if mark zuckerberg owned a cattle ranch He'd want to go check on the cows every now and again and make sure they're doing okay. <laughs> and so he's going and making sure all of his product, us, are doing all right. And, and you know, like, think of him as, as a human being, which... Now, he's doing this at the same time that there's growing recognition that Facebook is, like, fully entrenched in every aspect of life in the United States and probably the many other places where it exists, in that you can't really quit, like... It's weird if you're not on there because all your actual social networks are connected through Facebook. Your job is connected through Facebook. And even if you even if someone's not on Facebook, it's like, "Hey, tag this you know, they'll they'll suggest if they see that person's face in a photo like invite this guy onto Facebook." And the government's starting to think about maybe doing something about it, perhaps because of what happened in 2016 with Russians using weird Facebook robots in order to potentially affect the election. So what could they do, Paul? And, like, what are they actually talking about doing? And who are they? This is Democrats. But also, like, Steve Bannon, maybe? Yeah, it's mostly Democrats who are sort of raising this issue. But conservatives are also sort of worried about the effects of possible censorship on social media and other online sites like Google. But for Facebook in particular... Uh, the focus has mostly at this moment been about the political advertising, in particular these alleged ads purchased by Russia. And, uh, you know, the Federal Election Commission is reopening a comment period to discuss regulating online political ads, which are currently, uh, you know, th- they avoid a lot of the regulation that we're used to on television. Um, you know, they don't have to identify who is behind the ad for a lot of these ads. They don't. Yeah, it doesn't say like I'm such and such, and I approve yeah. this. Message. And so, you know, Facebook's been trying to get out in front of this. Mark Zuckerberg gave like what looked like an Oval Office address from Facebook to his two billion, you know, people on on the social network, uh, where he just said that you know Facebook will soon require all ads to, uh, you know, be added to a database, explain who they were purchased by all of that information. But this is just, you know, self-regulation. So two Democratic senators, Mark Warner, Amy Klobuchar, have introduced legislation to require uh, a public database of both, you know, who purchases ads on Facebook, Google, YouTube, Instagram, which those are all owned by just two companies. Uh, And, um, you know, who they're targeting in those ads also. So I think that that's the other thing that is coming up in this conversation of political advertising and like what did a foreign nation interfere in our election through 
purchased advertisements on a social network is that people are starting to come awake to, you know, what kind of data they're giving to these companies and how it's being used to target them for advertising. I yeah, have been, I've seen uh, some weird ads on Facebook. Like there's one about Qatar that's so strange. It's like this 30-minute clip about how Qatar is like, I don't know, how they're going to kill us or something. It's, it's a really strange ad. Well, that's actually th- – those are ads that are being uh, purchased by UAE – which, along with Saudi Arabia and the other Gulf states, are they're isolating. They're Qatar. isolating yeah. Qatar, and they're trying to basically uh, overthrow the government there. And they're doing that through so you a, do that a lobbying. Facebook. They're doing it through a lobbying campaign here, and also spreading it through Facebook. And maybe they, you know, Facebook has such good targeted information that they could figure out like we're going to target Washington D.C. and they could target. We know you're a reporter, so we're going to target you because you are a reporter. I have been tempted to uh, leave Facebook because I find that it distracts me really badly during the day. Like anytime you click on it, you can scroll endlessly and it will show you something new because they have this algorithm. It just doesn't put what people are posting in chronological order. They've realized the best way to keep you hooked by mixing statements from friends and little videos and stuff. On the flip side – I am amazingly connected. Like never before in history would a person have been this connected with distant relatives, former friends and colleagues. And if I were to quit, I would lose that. And it would be awful. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that, you know, these companies like Facebook and Google, they provide like a good service. Like Google has a great search engine. Facebook provides, you know, like this place where you can, you know, keep in contact with friends that you otherwise would maybe lose contact with and you know you can get their baby pictures and their bad political opinions all in one place have you now, have you wanted to quit like we're all on there yeah i mean i i, I, I kind of barely use facebook at this point it's just uh it, it's a it's kind of difficult and also because you know y- what you see is being controlled by an algorithm that they have like decided oh this is kind of what you want to see and maybe it actually isn't what i want to see like you don't see all of your friends posts if you are connected with somebody on Facebook, you're only seeing a very, very limited number of posts from other people based on whatever their algorithm is that has been designed and is interpreting your behavior, what you like, what you comment on. So you're obviously missing a lot of stuff from weird. from your friends. Like It's not like uh, Twitter, which just has a stream of everything that you follow. Uh, they edit it. Based on artificial so intelligence, you, you think you're like a Facebook lurker? Are, are you? Are, how active are you? Um, I'm more active than I would like to admit that I am uh-huh. on Facebook. Um, I kind of hate it, but it's like you were saying. I get hooked because they show me all these DIY videos, and I love DIY videos. So I'll just like sit there and watch them when I'm bored, and I'm just like, oh wow, like this is really cool. Like, I want to do that. Not really, but it's cool to, like, watch you put together a bookshelf or something. Yeah, I mean, I'm that... particularly entranced by the really well-lit uh, cooking videos shot from yeah, above. Yeah, the tasty videos yeah. are amazing. And, I mean, th- th- this is all part of what they do. You know, they're trying – they've tried to figure out what you will stare at, what you're going to keep watching. Uh, you know, one of the most popular books in the past few years in Silicon Valley was a book – uh, explaining how to build habit-forming products. Right. And, the you know, the people, the engineers, they go and they take classes by the author 
uh, about how to build a you know, social networking product that will keep users addicted and stuck on it. It's like a cigarette. Yeah, pretty much. And I mean, you're you're he- you're seeing stories about former engineers, people who ran some of these departments, who are now like, we've I've deleted all social networks off of my phone. I've blocked myself from you know using the internet on my phone because these are like highly addictive uh, tools that are being used by people who are you know children even. Now, what about the uh, notion that it's so ubiquitous and aside from the weird, like, addictive qualities of it, it does have a social good in the way it keeps you connected to people. What about the idea that this is now a utility? Like, one day, uh, companies that you paid for electricity, that was, like, a useful product. But now, this is something that we recognize everyone needs. Do you think there's any chance that Facebook could be controlled and regulated as a monopoly by the government, or is that just ridiculously far-fetched? I mean, I think that that's certainly coming up in conversations a lot more. I mean, it, the, the question of whether Facebook is a utility has gone back at least to, like, 2010, if not before that, when they started si- significantly changing their privacy features, uh, which basically meant that they were, uh, you know, Facebook started out as being very, like, protective of user privacy. They wouldn't collect all of this data, and they said that they weren't going to resell it to advertisers, and then they changed all of that. And now they collect data across the web whether you have a Facebook account or not. Like if you see a like button on a page, that's collecting your data. Like just right there. If you, if you see that like button, on that any like button page. will then follow you wherever you go in a it sense will, by following your, where you're well, where Because you're pretty much every, every page will have a like button on it pretty much on the internet, right? And so that collects your cookies. It says this user has come to this page and it sends that information back to the Facebook mothership. Hmm. And so – Thumbs down. And so, I mean, you know, this conversation about whether it's a utility also goes along with other conversations about, you know, whether it's a monopoly and what you could do about that. And one of the suggestions I've heard from people is to make Facebook interoperable with other social networks. And this is sort of what the uh, Federal Communications Commission tried to do many years ago with AOL Instant Messenger, RIP. uh, Oh, wow. By saying that. So AOL Instant Messenger was going to launch a video service, and the FCC said, if you're going to launch this, you're going to need to make it work with other companies' chat video services. Um, And so I guess an idea would be that Facebook would have to work with something like Snapchat. So you could talk across social media platforms. But doesn't Facebook just go around buying the companies. Well, that that's a, a whole other yeah. problem. I mean, they own uh, they own WhatsApp. They bought. Which wow, they bought, I didn't know they owned WhatsApp. They, I knew they, they owned Instagram. What, though they bought Instagram. They bought WhatsApp for nineteen billion dollars. Wow. Uh, I mean, a lot of these companies, you know, they they've bought up most of their competitors. You, same same with Google. I mean, like go, like you want to use Google Maps, uh, or you say you don't want to use Google. You're like, I don't want to use Google Maps. I'm going to use Waze instead, right? Well, guess what? Google owns Waze. Yeah, I have. I didn't know Google owned ways. I've How? always treated thought of these things as just like cool, free internet products. But yeah. I, I mean, think, that's I how most people yeah. think about it. It's, it's cool. It's free. It's it's kind of magic, right? Like I have is, this yeah. like tiny computer in my hand that can tell me anything. There's a growing recognition but, of the costs. But the you know the, the the top five capitalized companies in the United States right now are Amazon, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and Apple. It's wow. all tech companies. And a lot of that money, especially for Facebook and Google, is just based off of your data. That's the money. All right. 
Thanks, Paul Blumenthal. Uh, Julia I want Craven. my check from Facebook. Uh, <laughs> I want my money. <laughs> we'll we'll tune in next week to see if we got our money. Yeah, we'll find uh, out. I doubt it. Yeah, we'll be right back. <laughs> And we're back. This is Arthur Delaney, and I'm joined by my colleague, S.V. Date. Hey, Arthur. And we're going to have an argument over something Donald Trump said that is <laughs> so pea-brained and weird. Uh, it really does uh, contribute to the sense that maybe he's falling apart. On the other hand, he never had a, a strong grasp of the finer points of policy. And this can be some complicated stuff. It has to do with deficits, debt, and economic growth. And we'll play the clip for you right now. Now, if you look at the stock market, that's one element, but then we have many other elements. The country, we took it over at owed 20 trillion. As you know, the last eight years, they borrowed more than it did in the whole history of our country. So they borrowed more than $10 trillion, right? And yet we picked up 5.2 trillion just in the stock market, possibly picked up the whole thing in terms of the first nine months, in terms of value. So you could say in one sense we're really uh, increasing values and maybe in a sense we're reducing debt. But we're very honored by it. And we're very, very happy with what's happening on Wall Street. Okay, so. Well, we're honored by it. We're honored by it. We're very, very happy. In a sense, we're reducing debt. That's the key quote there. There is nobody who thinks this makes any sense. There, there, uh, this is definitely wacky. The, pre- the president S- said it. He thinks it makes sense. It's not true. Sean Hannity also probably Economic growth sense. doesn't just make the debt go down. It's compl- What are you talking about economic growth? He said nothing about economic growth. In okay. Now, now, here's where I, I think I understand oh. how Donald Trump wound up making this insane statement that because the stock market picked up uh, value that the debt went down. I also have a theory, but go ahead. So that so I have a theory, but first of all, we'll just explain that's not what happens. The <laughs> debt just sits there until you get a budget surplus that reduces its size. To get a budget surplus, you have to have more revenue coming into the government than money going out. So for instance, we had a budget surplus in the 90s, mostly resulting from tax increases, but also economic growth uh, during that time because economic growth means businesses are making more money. People are making more money, meaning more people are paying more taxes. So this is where I where I think I know why Trump made this crazy statement, Sharish. He thinks that because the stock market's doing well, deficits are going down, and he therefore does not under he does not understand the difference between a deficit and the debt. So he thinks the debt is going yeah. down. Now, that's dumb, but that's what I think he yeah. believes because you Republicans are, are saying that economic growth will wipe out our deficits. Right. I, you're, you're being incredibly generous to the president's understanding of this, I think. And here's why. Looking at this again, as I've done all morning, they borrowed, they meaning Obama being the last president, they borrowed $10 trillion over eight years, and yet we picked up $5.2 trillion just just in the stock market, possibly picked up the whole thing in the first nine months in terms of value. So you could say we're really increasing values, maybe in a sense we're reducing debt. So the only way this makes sense, 
at all to compare how much the United States sovereign debt can be looked at vis-a-vis the value of the stock market. Say, hey, stock market went up $5.2 trillion since I took office. What I will do is confiscate all the shares of all the companies <laughs> owned by all these people, liquidate it, and then pay down the debt that Obama Remember him, the black president guy? Yeah. He ran up irresponsibly in his time and will pay down half of that already in just nine months. Aren't I great? It makes no sense at all. And you're suggesting that somehow he thinks that because of the the more economic activity, he's already paying down half the – no. And, 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 and let me point out that he's always had a very vague understanding of what it is the national debt is. Just a few months ago in June – we had the South Korean president, the new South Korean president was here, and the president of the United States said this, the United States has trade deficits with many, many countries, and we cannot allow that to continue with South Korea right now, but we cannot allow that to continue. This is really a statement that I can make about all trade. For many, many years, the United States has suffered through massive trade deficits. That's why we have $20 trillion in debt. Uh, with all due respect, no, that is not why we have $20 trillion in debt. <laughs> hasn't have a damn thing to do with trade deficits. The trade deficits, well, they probably didn't help because a trade deficit reduces uh, the size of the economy because that's that's money. Not, we, not necessarily, no. But uh, leave but that as – it's not a direct connection yeah. anyway. Right. It has nothing to do with – You're right. I, I am being charitable. I, but I do not think he's making a good point. I'm just trying to say I think I understand how his train of thought derailed and wound up on a completely other track. Right. And that, because of a Republican mythology that by creating economic growth, deficits will magically disappear, which is – Politically convenient for them because they want to uh, they want to believe that like tax cuts right. and, and, will cause I, revenue to increase. I, and I think in your zeal to take down the Republican mythology of supply side economics, you end up giving credit to the president for understanding something. When in fact, a much simpler explanation for his statement is that he understands nothing. I don't about think this he understands at it. all. I, zero. I just trying to. I Never just, has. I'm just trying to understand the rhetorical backflips that may have landed him. On this insane statement, I mean, let's look at, let's do a little close reading, a little exegesis. Wait, no, this is ridiculous. That we're look, well, close first of, reading what he says the, on the Hannity show. I mean, this the is country, absurd. we took it over. I mean, right <laughs> off the bat, what the hell are you talking about? You didn't take over America. Yeah, uh, it owed twenty trillion. Okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, they borrowed it more than it did in the whole history of our country. Well, there was a lot of borrowing. Uh, it was caused by the recession. In, in large part, and we picked up five point two trillion in stock market. Possibly picked up the whole thing. So he's just going from five trillion and saying, actually, it could be twenty trillion. Is how I interpret that uh, consecutive statements. Very, very ridiculous. So we're very honored by it. It. This yeah. is. I think this is actually really insane. <laughs> I think the fact we're talking about it is is bordering on the inside. I mean, you have children, yes? Yeah. Do do you go to your uh, nursery school and listen to the children argue and then try to make sense of it with a close reading of what they say? No, you do not. Yes, I do. You do. Yes, I do because I'll think, well, where is is he getting that? He's getting it from somewhere. (laughs) It's from one of the books we read or something like this. This is exactly the same thing I do, except I have no hope that Trump's going to learn. And fortunately, it doesn't really matter what he thinks about the stock market because as far as I know, the United States president doesn't get to confiscate 
additional value that has been generated just because he took office. Right. But I, I, I do think that he, his statement here is a, a strange s- symptom or side effect of supply side economic justification for debt fi- deficit financed tax cuts, which Republicans seem to be really committed to enacting. Yeah. Well, uh, they will. They will. And that was a topic we had earlier as to whether they'll succeed. They'll, they'll pass tax cuts. They're, yeah, no, they won't. Bad. Man, yeah. you know, it's it hasn't been eight minutes, but I think we're out of stuff to say. I, you know, I thought we could really go to town on this, but man, the president, uh, he he does not know what's going on. Look, looking at these in like large letters printed out on paper, like this yeah. guy, he can't talk yeah. and it seems like it's, he can't think. In fairness though, I mean, when has he ever understood this stuff? Go back through the interviews over the years. I mean, he still had this this weird understanding of deficits, trade deficits, and would go off against that. And, and for years, it was saying bizarre things that made no sense. And back then, it didn't matter. He was this guy on well, TV. Well, it's not just his understanding. He's still on TV, his, I guess. His but. syntax is also very nonsensical. It's not how right. most people talk That's at all. That's true. It's, it's deteriorated. The, the way he constructs sentences, paragraphs, thoughts, is, uh, there's a vast difference between now and back 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when you watched those interviews. Yeah, somebody did an analysis of transcripts of Trump right. talking where they actually showed that, in fact, he can't talk as good as he once did. <laughs> well, uh, this is some sad stuff. SV, uh, thanks, I guess. Yeah, you're very welcome. Um, sure, let's do this again. All right, bye. So that's what happened this week. This podcast was produced, edited, and engineered by Zach Young. Our executive producer is Nick Offenberg. I'm Arthur Delaney, and this week we were joined by HuffPost reporters Jessica Schulberg, S.V. Date, Julia Craven, and Paul Blumenthal. So That Happened is available on Apple Podcasts. Check out the whole family of HuffPost podcasts in the iTunes store. And while you're there, subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, send an email to so that happened at HuffPost.com. Thanks to all of you for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.